0: Guy Gordon, Lloyd Jackson, and Jamie Edmonds are up at six with J.R. Morning. Now it's first thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale.
1: All right, so as Renee said, a pretty easy commute in this morning. Um enjoy it while it lasts. We're supposed to get some snow later on that could last into our afternoon rush, possibly. Yep. Enjoy this so, little t- pocket of peace. That's Michigan winter for you. Just just a, a, enjoy the good times while they laugh. <laughs> right. And dream of May, where you won't be slowed down because of ice and snow. You'll be slowed down because of construction. That's but at least right. you won't be at least you won't be gripping the steering wheel right. for your life.
2: No white knuckling.
1: Yeah. Pick your poison. All right. Well, uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, he returned to work yesterday in person, and there's really no easing back into this job. No. Because <laughs> The first thing him and President Biden have to deal with was this attack on a military outpost, Tower 22 in Jordan. That's near the border of Iraq and Syria. The three U.S. troops killed in that enemy drone attack have been identified as one man and two women from Georgia. And the enemy drone set by the Iranian-backed militia groups – it evaded detection systems because it was confused for an American drone. In fact, the air defenses were turned off, the air defense systems, huh. to let uh, um, an American drone that was nearby returning for a mission back onto the base. So I'm guessing that these rebel groups probably had some kind of a, intelligence that they used to take advantage and yeah. used in the attack. Um, and, and I guess. it it had a bunch of explosives and and it was led off by sleeping barracks in the middle of the night while everyone was asleep. So just an absolutely uh, horrific situation. The 34 wounded troops who survived, they suffered cuts, bruises and some of them traumatic brain injuries. Eight of them were medically evacuated. Now Iran, they've denied any involvement. The U S has vowed to respond and that the response could be in stages over a prolonged period of time. And Renee yesterday, on all talk Rocky Rishkowski said that we are already in a proxy war with Iran. And I tend to agree with him on that. I, I think, I, I think that horse is already out of the barn. Yeah.
2: I would agree. With and then that. you
1: brought this, you brought this to my intention, Israeli special forces dressed as civilians. They raided, raided a West bank hospital and killed three members of uh, Janine brigade's fighters. So enter another faction over in that area. Uh, the IDF says that they're terrorists linked to Hamas and Islamic jihad groups. Uh, but how absolutely terrifying for, for you know, the civilians and everyone else. Well, especially because they
2: were addressed as medical personnel. Right. In a hospital.
1: And, and luckily, there were no other casualties. But, I mean, uh, imagine you're sick, you're recovering, you're with a loved one who's sick and recovering. and This happens. I mean, that that's that that that's got to be quite traumatic and that's going to be some ptsd you're going to be dealing with with the rest for the rest of your life yeah uh this jennifer crumbly trial <sighs> um it is it is lengthy it is intense and there's just a lot to unpack every day yesterday was the third day um, the guidance counselor who the Crumbleys met with the day of the shooting testified, and there's also some pretty compelling video shown in the courtroom.
2: Yeah, and at the start of the trial, crumbley was quickly sworn in as her lawyer said that they were willing to allow unredacted Facebook messages uh, from 2021 between Jennifer and her husband to be on the record. Previously they had argued to have portions of those messages redacted, so Jennifer and her attorney agreed to not redact them. The first witness called to the stand on Monday was Kiara Pennick. She's the 27-year-old who runs the barn that took care of Crumbly's horses. She talked about her relationship with Jennifer and how she knew them for a few years prior to them boarding their horses with her. Uh, she said she would see Jennifer and James two to three times a week, but that she rarely ever saw the shooter. And the messages were also shown after the shooting when Jennifer was trying to sell her horses quickly. Sean Hopkins, who worked as a counselor at Oxford High School, he took the stand and spoke about what happened the morning leading up to the shooting, including his being notified that the shooter was watching a violent video in class and then later emailed a drawing the student had made that alarmed the staff. He detailed how he brought the shooter into his office to talk about him about what was going on and he said that the shooter was being was struggling because his friend had left and he had recently got into an argument with his parents about grades. The counselor said that he looked at the drawing he became concerned that the student might try to take his own life particular with him writing, the thoughts won't stop, help me. And then Hopkins also talked about the meeting that he had with James and Jennifer, saying that he wanted to make sure that the shooter was getting support. Then Oakland County Sheriff's Office, uh, uh, excuse me, Detective Sergeant Joe Bryan with the Special Investigations Unit, he took the stand and said that Bryan was among the first to speak with James and Jennifer around um, the day of the shooting. He, He also played a video of James and Jennifer meeting with Ethan after the interview with deputies. And as they walked out, Jennifer can be seen asking him why, why, to which the shooter responded, I love you, I love you. So a lot there. Testimony resumes again this morning at 830.
1: Yeah, and um, there was a little bit of dispute over, uh, you know, what the guidance counselor requested of the Crumblies. Um, It was heavily implied that they should take him out of school, but they never, um, but I guess he never came outright and asked them to uh, take him out of school. And I, I think this kind of goes this kind of speaks to the mindset that um I, I think nobody saw this coming. That guidance counselor wasn't afraid that the shooter was going to kill other people. No. He was afraid that yeah. he was gonna take his own life. Right. Because to be honest, what happened that day during that shooting was unthinkable. Right. The well more- look
2: at the first teacher or counselor that saw him and said are you okay she in her mind at that point she didn't think for a second that he could have possibly been the shooter right. as it was happening
1: but I think so far anecdotally at least this this guidance counselor his testimony really does speak to sort of the disinterested demeanor of the crumblies he yeah. said that the entire meeting they seemed disinterested like they were inconvenienced Um, It seemed like they wanted to just get out of there. They said that they were busy and that they would deal with this thing later. Jennifer Crumbly uh, in one of the videos where they were meeting with detectives and Sean Lay on WDIV said that these these interviews were happening as kids were still being taken to the hospital. Yeah. She said, I wish we would have taken them home, which, yeah, no crap lady. Right. Um, And then uh, I missed this on Friday. Uh, Jennifer Crumbly's lawyer apologized yesterday for something that she said on Friday. I guess on Friday um, she was having some technical issues with a computer in front of the courtroom, and as she was struggling with this w- with this technology, she said out loud, "I'm going to kill myself," which obviously was <sighs> a very insensitive and stupid thing to say. Wow. Given the read the room, subject- lady. Right, the subject matter of the trial people who are in the courtroom who have been victimized from this so just another just another gaffe by the yeah. defense in this trial and she's I'm uh, not
2: to... on her game <laughs> this yeah. woman the whole trial she's had a lot of blunders if you will
1: yeah and, and i'm starting to worry that these blunders and these theatrics and these dramatics are going to take away from the seriousness and gravity of yeah What's being debated here, and and what this community has gone through, um, yeah. and and I mean we're only three days into a three week trial, Ugh. so, um, like I said, I said buckle up at the beginning, but I didn't, I I, I couldn't even even foreseen it being at this level, right? Uh, and real quick, Renee, um, you said in your traffic report that uh, the carpool HOV lanes on I seventy five enforcement. Uh, actually it's gone into effect already yeah it
2: actually went into effect yesterday so that's between 12 mile and south boulevard Uh, cars in the hov lanes required to have two human occupants on weekdays between 6 a.m and 9 a.m and 3 p.m and 6 p.m and they're out there and they plan on ticketing so you've been warned
1: no cardboard cutouts
2: (laughs) right no dogs dressed in human
1: clothes either I thought about (laughs) it. (laughs) Although adorable, the police officers will not let you off. Right.
2: Uh, The exception is motorcycles, transit buses, police and emergency vehicles.
1: Right. And then uh, some good news for motorists. The average price of gas um, has fallen below $3 a gallon. That's down 51 cents from a year ago.
2: Wow. Well, that's good. Something I got to do. I'm on fumes right now. So that's good news to me when I leave here.
1: Go fill up. When, when gas prices are low, do you ever feel, just want to like load up a pickup truck with a bunch of 50-pound uh, drums and just uh and just fill up for when it goes back up below, uh, above $4 a Let gallon? Let me tell
2: you what I did. I unwinterized my boat when it got really low and filled up my boat for the summer.
1: Wow. Oh, yeah. I'm messing I around. Hope that, I hope that gas is still stable when it's warm <laughs> enough to take it out. It's worth a gamble. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. Ah, right how much is the new boat 25 grand nah, it's worth it to save a few bucks on a, on a on a tank of gas yep all right first thing mike parsons renee vitale wjr well here it is renee we knew it would eventually happen a war of words between former president donald trump and uaw president sean fain oh tell me more the uh well as we know yesterday the uaw endorsed president biden for his reelection campaign. Um, And at that event, Sean Fain called Donald Trump a scab. He went on Cavuto on Fox News last week and said that Donald Trump stands against pretty much everything the UAW stands for. And then Donald Trump, uh, you know, he wasn't going to take that lying down. He took to his Truth social account and called Sean Fain a weapon of mass destruction. For auto workers and i'm surprised it took this long renee this is what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object and <laughs> i have a feeling that this is this back and forth is not over and it's going to go uh on for quite a while
2: remember when trump had trading cards i want sean Fain trading cards
1: <laughs> magic the gathering with yeah. sean Fain and donald trump yeah. as the most powerful wizard <laughs> that's what this sounds I mean, like I, I If these two actually ever got into a debate, it would be something to behold because they are both bulldogs. They're both.
2: Hard headed. Yeah. What's that? Hard headed.
1: Stub- right. Stubborn and, and immovable and uncompromising. Yep. So this could this could just kind of die here or this could become quite a spectacle. We'll see. Yeah. Um. But but good news, I guess, for Sean Fain, the UAW, 10,000 workers at non-union plants. They've signed union cards, getting them closer and closer to a vote to unionize the um, non-domestic auto workers, which obviously has become a goal of Sean Fain and the UAW since they got those big contracts uh, for their membership with Ford Stellantis and GM and it looks like the Volkswagen plant in Tennessee and the Mercedes plant in Alabama are the closest to voting on union membership Wow! Uh, you know what I would I would I would spend some money on a pay-per-view uh just to watch these two (laughs) argue in person I
0: was thinking
2: those exact same words that's funny you say that I was thinking that myself
1: you know Sean Fain's gonna have some props Mm -hmm. and costume
2: changes (laughs)
1: right (laughs) it'll be like an old wwe uh (laughs) casket match except the caskets like a giant uh uh, like garbage can you know like those (laughs) big garbage can yeah (laughs) a garbage can match
2: oh my gosh i'm here Uh, for it
1: yeah so uh alex murda it looks like alex murda this uh who was convicted of killing his uh his wife i believe he was convicted uh yeah he was Convicted of killing his wife right down in South Carolina. And his his son, son. yeah. Um, Doesn't look like he's going to get a new trial.
2: No, he's not. A judge ruled Monday that he will not. Murdaugh's attorneys alleged that the court clerk tampered with the jury that last year found him guilty. The judge held that the clerk of court made improper comments to the jury, but ruled that the comments did not influence the verdict reached by the jury. One of the jurors who found Alex Murdaugh guilty of murdering his wife and 22-year-old son testified Monday that the comments made by the Colleton County, South Carolina clerk of court, influenced her verdict, which is an allegation that was key to Murdoch's quest for a new trial. But every other juror questioned as part of the evidentiary hearing testified that their verdicts were not influenced by the clerk, Rebecca Becky Hill, as she's known, who's been accused by Murdoch and his attorneys of inappropriately discussing the case with jurors and pressuring them to conclude deliberation's quickly. Hills denied the allegations and she said that she did so again while testifying at the hearing Monday afternoon. Eleven jurors denied being influenced, though two said that they also heard comments made by the clerk when Murdaugh took the stand to testify.
1: Yeah, and I guess uh, the juror in question was Juror Z. Yeah. And Juror Z said that this clerk said to her, make sure you watch his body language mm-hmm. and that he's lying. Yeah. They also had another clerk testify and that clerk said that the the clerk in question said to her um you know uh, let's we need to write a book, you need to retire, I need a lake house and a guilty verdict, uh, we'll, we'll sell more books. And I I think wow. two things can Yeah, I think two things can be true at the same time. I absolutely believe that this clerk was trying to – was rooting for a guilty verdict. Right. And I also think that she was trying to write a book and maybe even trying to sway the jury. But at the same time, I still think Alex Murdoch is guilty as sin.
2: He's a terrible person.
1: Yeah. You know? And look, he's going to throw stuff like this at the wall – because, obviously, he was a high-powered lawyer before he went to jail, so he knows all the appeals he's, and he knows all the legal levers to pull. He's going to
2: try every angle possible.
1: Right, but the piece of evidence that put him away was the fact that he said that he wasn't home the night of the murders, and there is a video of of uh, his son. I don't know if it's the son he killed or surviving son, but a cell phone video that um at, at the dog kennels at their house and you can hear Alex Murdaugh's voice clearly um putting him at the scene of the mm-hmm. crime um so the, uh, it, the the evidence itself and it's a shame that this that this clerk was acting so unscrupulously because Alex Murdaugh belongs behind bars right. but also um he deserves a fair, fair trial as well
2: right and, and mean, to jeopardize it, that it would have been Yeah awful. and
1: undermine Right, and it undermines our entire legal system. Right. But um, I'm glad they took a look at it, and I'm glad they decided that Alex Murdoch is exactly where he's supposed to be. Yep. Well, this uh, AI dystopian future we've all been dreading is here a lot faster than we thought it was going to be, Renee. Last week, as we remember, during the New Hampshire primary, there was this deep deepfake robocall that sounded just like, Uh, joe biden's recorded message telling people to stay home and not vote for him because it was a wasted vote over the weekend fake ai generated explicit images of taylor swift were posted on x gaining over 45 million views and x has actually blocked searches of taylor swift anything Um, taylor
2: swift right now
1: yeah because of this because they're probably trying to get a handle on this Mm -hmm. and it's just uh it's just part of a rise of fake AI-generated news, due in part to easier AI tools that more people can use. Um, that that even s- some of them even have a tool specifically for fake explicit images, which is um, which is not surprising, but it's also bizarre and very concerning.
2: I'm gonna say that that's probably what was used on these photos. I saw them. Um, oh, you did. Yeah, they were they were pretty brutal. Uh, it's, I I would be upset if I were Taylor Swift. Oh my gosh, they were horrible.
1: Yeah. And of course the most famous people out there are, are, are going to be victims of this first, but it's not going to just stop with them. No. And you you know, um, I
2: I like that the white house has stepped in, you don't mess with Taylor Swift, the white house (laughs) gets involved.
1: Right. And and Taylor Swift is just kind of a figurehead here. I mean, lawmakers do need to get on this quick. They were they were very slow and late passing revenge porn legislation. Yeah, like by decades. Like for a while, uh, if somebody sent you um, uh, a, a nude or a compromising picture, you could post it anywhere you want without any penalty. Right, and of course, this would have terrible consequences in these people's lives and a lot of times have people who are like in committed relationships yeah they were sending the stuff to people they trusted and things went bad and yeah hence the name revenge porn but i mean there has to be stiff federal laws with harsh penalties for deep faking anyone's likeness without their consent and it needs to be passed yesterday because it's not just going to be images which is very is traumatic enough where there's these images circulating around the internet of you everyone thinks it's actually you in compromising positions and you've got no recourse but nobody wants even to see going, that from me Ah, <laughs> <laughs> um same girl um but you go back to this this robocall last last week of joe biden i mean it, if if your voice is out there anywhere, like you and I, Renee. We have a, an entire library of our voices, like on the internet, for anyone. Sure. They if 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 they have a uh, an AI tool, and after a while, it's going to be like the internet. You're not going to need to be an expert to know how to use this stuff. It's going to be consumer products. That oh yeah, it'll, it'll be an app thing. on
2: your phone.
1: Right. And they can have us saying literally anything sounding like our voice.
2: Well, they could take the president and, and act like he's holding some kind of press conference. You know, we're going into World War III or, you know what I'm saying? I mean, People right. believe whatever they see. If it's on the Internet, it must be true. So, you know, it, it, dangerous hands. It could fall into some dangerous hands. Real and consequences. Honest,
1: yeah. And, and to be honest, I thought 2028 was when we're go- we were really going to start seeing AI wreak havoc in, like, our elections and our political systems, but it's already started. Oh, yeah.
2: Yep. The political
1: ads. Yeah. And, And I also read an article the other week that in a lot of these AI services and tools, their servers, there's a lot of people generating AI images of like underage people. And obviously you want to arrest people like that. And you want them off the streets so that they can't victimize people, but the law doesn't know what to do because these are AI generated images. They're not they're they're not of real people. Right. However, they demonstrate a very dangerous and deviant behavior that can't be uh, that that can't be enforced just yet. right.
2: And the because the laws aren't written.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, like i said uh, the, the legislature needs to get on this yesterday because like i said when it came to the revenge porn of, uh laws of of like actual people like actual pictures of people it took them like 20 years uh to to get on that Insane. and and we and we can't afford that we really can't um and real quick before we hit a break uh there's some numbers that were released about the Um, effect of these hands-free driving laws in uh, what's been like six months now. Yeah, it's been six months.
2: And Michigan State Police say so far the law isn't necessarily making all drivers practice safer habits. Uh, We became hands-free June 30th. So it was a primary offense to use or even hold a mobile electronic device behind the wheel. Statewide, only 900 citations issued in the first six months. Uh, Michigan State Police say that that's only part of the picture. They're just trying to create awareness in the beginning by giving verbal warnings. Uh, But Michigan State Police also said in many cases it's gotten worse because people are trying to hide the fact that they're still using their phone. Uh, so now they plan on cracking down much more in the next six months.
1: Yeah, I get, and I get it. There's an adjustment period, and and look, it's still something I can get better at. I mean, my mom got me like a hands-free device for Christmas, and I do Door Dashing, so I'm getting better. But like, there's still sometimes I catch myself.
2: Oh yeah, it's habit. It's like second nature because we've been allowed to up until this point.
1: Right, so hopefully it doesn't come to this, but maybe a slap on the wrist is is exactly what I need and other people need to change their behavior. But hopefully, hopefully we get it together on our own volition before um, anything happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like I said, the getting a ticket is the least worst outcome and the least worst um, shocking reminder for us to get it together. All right, uh, first thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR, and Guy. J- let me try that again. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm new here. Guy, <laughs> Lloyd, and Jamie join us live in studio. Good morning, everybody. Good, Good morning.
3: morning. Allow us to introduce ourselves.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know what I was trying to say. I think I was going to say Guy, Joy, and Lamey. Okay. <laughs> uh, like, <that's>, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I uh, is it time to retire? Don't stop believing from our local sporting events. Uh, no question. No, I don't know. Why? So.
2: Uh, as uh, someone who has played a lot of music and disc jockey times, yeah. <laughs> I could die happy if I never heard that song again. Yeah. I'm not even going to lie. Yeah,
3: as a jockey you hear all of those songs, so yeah, it might get on your nerves. But if you're going to get rid of that, then you get rid of Celebration, too. From cooling well,
2: I, I'm also okay well, with that. I'm throw, throw <laughs> yeah, out
3: there. People have no idea that those that have been DJs, just how uh, irritating no, some of those yeah. oldies
1: are. Thank no. you, guy. Yeah, uh, a moldy old. Well, I I say that because uh, we all know that Journey played halftime of the NFC Championship game between the Lions and the 49ers. And, of course, they were in San Francisco, so um, they changed the words born and raised in South Detroit to San Francisco. And I'm not really putting this out here because um, I'm upset about this, but I... (sighs) I, I I've been sick of that song for a while and uh, guy you've mentioned it. South Detroit's not even a real place. And, and it's just kind of like a cheap pop. So now that journey has kind of crossed over, or I, I guess maybe they never crossed to our side to begin with, but not, since they actually came <laughs> out and changed the name of, uh, South Detroit, San Francisco. I, I, I feel like there's other songs that we can use as, as sort of our unofficial cheap pop sports anthem. Okay. To their
2: defense, they are from the San Francisco area. So I You're a it. Bay
1: Area band. Yeah. yeah. Can I just – a little bit of pushback, Michael,
3: and it's this. There are so sure. few songs that act as generational bridges, and that's one of them. I mean, that's one that, for my generation, connects with two other generations, mm-hmm. right? right. Yeah. I, and so – don't take those away from me because there are not many of them anymore between the divisions between classic rock and hip hop, right? Where we don't have that many bridges anymore.
2: We could we could well, go with D twelve. Welcome to Detroit City. I think everybody knows that
1: one. See, I, I was thinking that, or I. You know what? I think. And even though it doesn't mention Detroit in it, as far as I know, I think that, um, I think Lose Yourself kind of fits that criteria. Yeah, 100%. That yeah. beat, just to start that song, everyone oh, knows. knows what it yeah. is. Height. Okay, right.
3: and I know it. I don't know how many of my fellow boomers know it. I bet they do. Oh, and They know the, I think Minnesota? they know the sample on it, but they could certainly, they can't sing along, and it's not singing. <laughs> well, just saying. I, to,
1: to okay. jamie's point yeah, that's to a Jamie, little right. daddy there right. yeah. isn't that daddy <laughs> yeah, yeah. little dad joke point, there yeah it's to not point, real
3: though, singing oh, that
1: man. that opening beat that opening beat it it says detroit without even it's saying us. anything how about yes. detroit rock uh, city kiss yeah
4: i'm not well, giving up on journey it's fun <laughs> at sporting events yeah thank well, you and, and, and
3: no, here's like, the thing
1: I, I, to Go ahead. Luke.
3: No, I, so I, I like I I like the journey song. I, I was a DJ back in the day too in high school, and I played it all the time at Lutheran West. And uh, yeah, well,
4: shout out Lutheran West.
3: Shout out Lutheran West. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, Deliberts. though, Renee, I will tell you that twenty years from now, some of these songs are going to come back and you're going. Oh, it's nice to hear that. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, they yeah. Yeah. they have a way of rehabilitating themselves.
1: It's going to take some time. J R Morning coming up next. The latest inflation numbers and gross domestic product report shows that the GDP is up and inflation is down. So why is that good economic news not trickling down to the average consumer?
2: Aaron Hedlund, the former chief domestic economist and senior advisor at the White House Council of Economic Advisors, discusses that with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz.
0: There is a ton of celebrating from the White House on this economy. It's red hot, they say. The GDP was a fairly strong Well, the GDP increased at an annual rate of 3.3% in the fourth quarter of 2023. That's pretty good. And if that's the case, though, then what is really going on in this economy? I mean, does it matter that the national debt grew by $47 billion in one day or that people are working multiple jobs to bridge this huge rise in the cost of living under President Joe Biden? Because, Kevin, it's still true that uh, things are about 16% more expensive on average right now than when Joe Biden first took office.
4: Moving in the right direction, though, this is what we want for America, Tom. We want lowering inflation. We want lowering interest rates. We want people getting back into the housing market. The thought of recession being pushed further away. Is this enough for voters to forgive Joe Biden for the last three years? Is, is the economy really good? Um, I'm not sure about all that, uh, but it's important to talk about uh, these numbers uh Look like they're heading in the right direction. Let's bring in Aaron Headland, former chief domestic economist and senior advisor, White House Council of Economic Advisers. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. How about you? Good. Thanks for being here. When you look at these numbers, what 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 are your initial thoughts?
5: Well, it's certainly not nearly as rosy as the White House is discussing. First of all, if you look at 2023 overall, it's about 2.5 percent growth for the year, which is fine, but it's nothing to write home about. And it was financed with multi-trillion dollar deficits. So that's a lot of debt not getting much bang for the buck. And I think most importantly, why aren't people happy? People aren't happy because their purchasing power is still down. Typical family has lost about $4,000 since 2019 in terms of what they can actually buy. And 2023 didn't really reverse that either. So fundamentally, there's a cost of living crisis, and that's not being resolved.
4: The... Has the attitude changed uh, or is this administration still looking to spend as much as possible? Or do they know that an election's coming and they, they better get this thing uh, tightened up before November?
5: Well, I think there's no question that the progressives would love to spend more. It's just that we happen to have divided government right now, which is going to prevent the sort of spending spree that they had been doing for the first couple of years. So, So it's good news that we've got divided government to stop that. But there's no question that their, their agenda is the, the green economy, climate activism, and, and a lot of social engineering. And those are the sorts of things that are not improving growth or increasing paychecks.
0: You know, there's as we have mentioned, there's been a lot of celebration. And we've heard from more of Democrat-leaning economists who say, listen, this 3.3 GDP shows the economy is on the right track. It's not only that. It's red hot right now. And that was better than expected, this economic growth. You say 2.5%. Whatever it is, it's up. But how much of that was, you know, private industry versus government spending, you know, more money into this economy? I understand the government, like 30 percent of this GDP was actually from government spending. You think that's about right?
5: Yeah. So consumer spending was the single largest component, but government spending is up there as well. And and by the way, that 3.3 percent is the fourth quarter, 2.5 percent for the whole year. That's sort of the distinction between the two numbers. And the thing with consumer spending, by the way, is people are racking up credit card debt. If if growth was hot and pay was going up and that was driving things, I'd say that's great news. Problem is we now have over a trillion dollars of credit card debt, and credit card delinquency rates are the highest they've been since 2011. So this is kind of an artificial sugar high that, by the way, isn't even that much of a high because, again, 2.5% growth is kind of historically okay, but it's not gangbusters.
0: All right. So so the consumer spending is up. And so that's just kind of uh, like you said, it's just kind of icing on the cake or sugar, because in reality, if you just look underneath the surface, more Americans, they're spending too much. They're spending more than they earn. That's why their their debt is going up. So does that indicate then to you that this is the opposite of a healthy economy? If more Americans are actually going into they might be spending more, but it's not their money that they're spending.
5: Exactly. This is an unsustainable path. It, it's extremely unsustainable for the federal government. I think mean, for debt sits to double from the previous year to the current year to be nearly $2 trillion is completely crazy. There's, there's no reason for that. It's totally unsustainable. And if you look at the consumer, part of the spending was driven by all the accumulated stimulus that's in their bank accounts. They've now exhausted that, and they're going further by taking out debt. So when I look at 2024, I, I fully expect there to be a slowdown in growth because the fundamentals are – not nearly as strong as the decent growth numbers would suggest
4: i think they're going to do whatever they can to make this economy as hot as they can before the november election but we'll see how that turns out but overall can you compare the totality of the biden years versus the trump years
5: yeah the the, the difference couldn't be more stark so first of all if you look at growth rates there were several years under the trump administration where you got two and a half percent or more growth so again 2.5% now is not some red-hot thing to talk about. But the distinction is, from 2017 up until COVID, that was not financed by multi-trillion-dollar deficits. Instead, debt relative to GDP was pretty flat. And here's the biggest thing in terms of what people would actually notice in their day-to-day. Incomes for the typical family, after adjusting for inflation, went up by about $6,000 in those years 2017 to COVID. It has gone down by $4,000 since 2019. That's the stark difference. That's why people aren't happy.
0: Yeah, that's pretty significant. So, so the you know we often hear that the these unemployment numbers are great and whatnot, and, and it looks good on the surface. But what does the unemployment numbers what, what story does that tell you? Is is that that more people are working, or is that that more people are are taking multiple jobs, or is it something else? Well,
5: I think you do have some instances of people taking on multiple jobs because we are in the middle of a cost of living crisis, and people are coping however they can. And businesses are still facing labor shortages because uh, a lot of people above the age of 60 retired during COVID for, for various reasons, so they're just kind of out of the labor market. That to me is also making things a little bit artificially tight is you just kind of removed a group of workers who normally would have still been working to some extent.